If you'll notice, I am not Pastor Steve nor Pastor Mamie. I'm not Pastor Ben either. I am Jason. Those guys, uh, I'm excited to say, are enjoying a wonderful vacation down in uh, Virginia Beach, visiting uh, their daughter. And so that's, that's an exciting time for them. And so I've been uh, asked to step in here and, and fill in. So uh, bear with me as I do my best. Hopefully you'll receive something today. Um, I'm going to continue on with the, the series that they've been going on, which is Signs of the Times. And so we're going to stick with the same theme, talk about the same kind of stuff, and I hope that, that, that you'll receive from this today. Um, and before I, before I pray and get into the, to the message itself, I, I'm just going to kind of talk about some of the things that we're seeing going on around us, some of the, the headlines, if you will, so we get a kind of an understanding of, of where we're at and what's going on. So uh, the first question is, you know, what do we see going on around us? If you watch anything on the news at all, which I don't necessarily recommend that you do because it's not, it's not very uplifting anymore these days. Um, but if you see, what do we see going on? First of all, we see um, what's been labeled as a pandemic, but does not necessarily meet the standards of any past pandemics, meaning that not large percentages of populations are being decimated by it. We're being told that based on grossly unreliable models to expect you know, as many as two million Americans alone to be killed off within the first two to three months of this, and thank God that did not happen. Amen. We see peaceful protests throughout every major city in the country, and less than peaceful ones. We see lawlessness abounding with, with looting, rioting, destruction of property. Simultaneously, we see calls to defund police and absolute dishonor and disrespect towards authority of any kind. We're seeing federal troops being brought into cities where the local governments are either unable or unwilling to step in, and then these same cities are suing the federal government while also asking for federal aid to repair the damages. Explain that one to me. That does not make sense whatsoever. We see health professionals telling us that we must keep our distance from one another, that we must always wear a mask, while at the same time other health professionals tell us that Wearing a mask may actually uh, be making us sicker and that we actually need human-human contact in order to stay healthy. It's kind of confusing. You see things on both sides, right? We're being told that we have to live this way until the vaccine is made available. And we also, and for good reason I might add, have many people who say that they're unwilling to take a vaccine even if one were available. And we have government spokespeople telling us that vaccination will likely be required in order to simply live in society. In order to fly on a plane, in order to cross state boundaries, in order to go to work, you may have to have not only be vaccinated, but have some proof of the vaccination or whatever. These are all things that have been thrown out there. And of course, none of this is law, none of this is mandated. This is just stuff that they're talking about to sprinkle in there so that we can be thinking this way because I believe it's coming down the line. Um, we see experts telling us about this, this uh, drug, hydroxychloroquine, as safe and effective medication, and if you, uh, if you could use it, it could have already saved tens of thousands of lives, while we have other experts saying, no, 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 this stuff's dangerous and we can't use it, it's horrible, you know, just take it off the shelves, it's not, not possible. Once again, a little confusing, we're seeing all kinds of stuff all over the place, right? We're seeing millions of people out of work and many businesses and even churches being forced to close down to no fault of their own. They've been shut down by government mandates. 
And we see businesses and even churches who have also taken a stand against what they see as government tyranny being fined and ministers sometimes being jailed because they've taken a stand. We've seen supply chains broken down and disruptive like, like I've never experienced in my lifetime. Now, I've had the opportunity to, to go to some different countries. I've, I've been to some uh, Central American countries, South American countries, where it's not unusual to have shelves that are completely uh, empty. And I've asked people, it was kind of weird. You know, you're walking through a grocery store or whatever, and you see full shelf, full shelf, empty shelf, full shelf, empty shelf, full shelf. You think, well, why are these shelves empty? Why even have them here? And they say, well, that's just the way it is. I mean, sometimes we'll have those items, sometimes we won't. And I thought, strange, you know, I've never seen that. We always have full shelves here. That's just something we're, we're accustomed to, right? Until recently. All of a sudden, things are a little different than what we've been used to. Um, we're seeing the value of the dollar drop considerably as the government attempts to stimulate the economy that they halted in the first place. We see partisan divides on nearly every issue with very few people willing to actually have the necessary conversations to find any sort of common ground. The chasm between liberal and conservative is seemingly insurmountable. There is no middle ground anymore. It's either you're this way, you're that way, and, and never can we actually have a conversation to say, well, wait a second, maybe you have a point that we need to consider, and maybe we have a point that you need to consider, and maybe we can find something in the middle. That, that doesn't seem to be possible in today's age. It's, it's very polarizing in everything we see. We're experiencing uh, a coin shortage <laughs> that looks to be maybe just a veiled attempt to get rid of physical money. Um, don't know. Moving towards digital currency, obviously. We see government overreach at nearly every level. And uh, here's a story that I found interesting the other day. According to a summary uh, of the study from Unbiased America, a new study estimates that there will be an additional 6.3 million cases of tuberculosis and 1.4 uh, million more tuberculosis deaths because of the worldwide coronavirus restrictions. Do you understand that? Not due to coronavirus. Due to the restrictions, there's going to be millions of more people who are dying of tuberculosis alone. Now, that doesn't take into effect the other diseases that other people are having issues with. And you say, well, how does that, how does that work? It doesn't, doesn't make sense. So the story goes on. It says the lockdowns, particularly across parts of Africa, Asia, and Latin America, have raised insurmountable barriers to patients who must travel to obtain diagnosis or drugs. If they have to cross what is equivalent to state lines, guess what? They can't do it. They can't go to their doctor to get what they need, right? The numbers dwarf COVID deaths. In India, for example, there have been 38,000 COVID deaths. But the COVID lockdowns and restrictions will result in an increase of more than 500,000 tuberculosis deaths there. So we're doing an awful lot to save people's lives at the cost of people's lives. The reason for the rapid increase in TB deaths is because of how infectious it can be when not diagnosed. Each person with undiagnosed TB can spread the disease to another 15 individuals over a year, and without proper treatment, 45% of people with TB on average, and nearly all HIV-positive people with TB, will die. 45% of people with TB will die if it's undiagnosed and untreated. And yet, we have a virus that 0.02% fatality rate, and we're doing all this stuff in order to protect us from that. I believe it's an understatement to say that we're currently living in unusual 
and chaotic times. Would you agree? But most concerning to me is this, that we're seeing fear taking hold of all kinds of people. Grandparents who haven't seen grandchildren in months because they're afraid that they may get the virus or, or share the virus or spread it. Businesses, schools, and churches afraid to open as they do not want to be held liable if someone were to get sick. Governments afraid to reopen as the threat of more infection looms. Fear of finding a job. People afraid to go to the hospital with legitimate problems because they're afraid if they go to the hospital, they're going to get sick there. That's a legitimate concern, guys. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not making light of the seriousness of the virus. It is a deadly virus. Anybody that has contracted it has the possibility and potential of death. I'm not making light of that. And certainly if you're a high-risk person or care for high-risk people, then there's certainly you know, reason to use wisdom and take extra precaution. That just, that's simple logic and it makes sense. However, what we're seeing is not simply wisdom or caution. Um, what we're seeing is a spirit of fear that has come upon many of those around us and it's being perpetuated by the media. Not only fear of a virus, but we see people who are not racist becoming afraid of people who look different than themselves because of what they're seeing on television. We see fear of violence in the streets, fear of lack, where people are stockpiling anything and everything because of the chaos all around. Everywhere we look, we see chaos, we see fear, and we see change. Would anybody disagree with any of this? Well, good. I guess I'm in the right place this morning. In Matthew 24, 6, Jesus spoke of wars and rumors of wars. And what do we see? Are we at war with China? Not officially, not yet. But there are many people who say that the virus is an act of war. There's certainly drums beating, war drums beating, right, where people are saying, well, maybe, maybe not. How about Russia? Are they our friends or are they our enemies? Are they interfering with our elections? Who knows? Are they undermining democracy? How about Turkey? If you haven't noticed, Turkey's trying to set up a new caliphate, trying to reestablish a stronghold on the lands that were once held by Muslims during the Ottoman Empire. Over the last several years, we have been at war as a nation with Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria. In the last few months, we've been at war in Portland, Chicago, L.A. Wars and rumors of wars. I think we're experiencing those things, right? But my goal today is not merely to point out the things you already know. I'm not here to complain about how bad things are or add to the fear-mongering. I think we've had enough of that. I don't mean to be too political in this um, or partisan, but... Continuing along the same lines of what Pastor Steve and Mamie have been discussing, I wanted to talk about the signs of the times, and I want to begin by putting, putting together some of the puzzle pieces. What is it that we're seeing happen in front of us? What is it that, where are we at in this whole timeline of, of, of history? Where are we at in, in the way things are going to happen? And we're going to discuss that a little bit today. Um, but as we do, I, want to, I just want to pray. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts that we would receive what you have for us. Lord, as we delve into your word, I pray that your word would, would speak to us, that your word would overwhelm us. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be the teacher of the church. Your word tells us you are, so I pray that you teach us today. Help us to understand our place in history and how we are to 
act towards those around us? How, how do we live, Lord, as believers in this time, in this day and age? And how do we stand strong in faith and share that faith with those around us? Give us ears to hear today. Anoint my lips to, to share your words, God. Get rid of the, the Jason out of this message and, and, and replace it with your Holy Spirit. Let, let your words come forth through me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So for the last several weeks, if you've been here or listened to the messages, uh, we've been going through Matthew 24, along with Mark 13 and Luke 21. These are all parallel passages that record what Jesus himself said would happen in the future, the last days or the end times. These are not the only places in the Bible that talk about it. There's, there's more stuff that's, that talks about the last days or the end times throughout the book of Revelation. Uh, there's some prophecies that a lot of people refer to back in, in Daniel. There's question of, as to whether those things have already taken place or whether they're going to happen in the future. And there's all kinds of discussion we can have on that, and we can delve deep into that stuff. But I only have uh, about a half an hour now to do this, so I don't think I'm going to be able to delve into all that today. So we're going to stick with the Matthew 24 uh, for the most part, and then we may touch into a few other things. But personally, I believe that we are living in the last days. And why do I believe this? Well, if you look back as far back as the book of Acts, when Peter was quoting the prophet Joel, what did he start out by saying? In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Guys, that was 2,000 years ago. If Peter's quoting that as in the last days, what, what was happening there in the upper room was happening then, and he's saying in the last days, this is going to happen. We're 2,000 years in the future from that. So if he was the last days, i got to say that we are absolutely the last days. And I would even go as far as to say I believe that we're in the last of the last days. Now, I don't know. I can't give you a, a if you're looking for like a, a calendar, a timeline, if I'm, I'm not going to pull out one of those, uh, you know, big rolls, big sheets that have the, the pictures on it and tells you exactly when things are going to happen. If you're looking for that, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Um, because quite frankly, I think that that if you think you know every single thing about how everything's going to play out, you're probably fooling yourself. We don't, you know, we don't have uh, uh, an, exactly, an exact picture of how things are going to happen. We do have pictures, images, ideas, right? And I believe that everybody can look around at all the things that we just talked about and see the season that we're living in. I don't believe that that's something that's very arguable, that things are definitely changing at a rapid pace. Would everybody agree with that? We're seeing some shaking happen that we've never seen before. And so we know that, that his return is imminent, but we don't know when. Um, but as Pastor Steve and Pastor Mamie noted, and as we see in Matthew 24, 8, the things that we see going on now seem to be the beginning of birth pangs. The beginning. That means this is going to continue. Things are going to continue to get stronger, more frequent, until the second coming of Jesus. Now, I've listened to several teachers lately giving their take on how and when things are going to happen and when things are going to take place. And some are very adamant that the church will be raptured out and taken out of prior to the tribulation. At that moment, uh, at any moment, Christ could return and part the sky and take us home. That's called a pre-tribulation rapture belief. Many people believe that. And they're adamant about it. They use biblical scripture to point that out. Others say, no, uh, we're going to patiently endure seven years of tribulation. 
and then we'll be taken to be with Jesus. Still others say, no, no, no. Um, before any, any judgment happens, first of all, the Jews have to build a new, Jerusalem, a new temple in Jerusalem because the, the uh, desolation uh, has to happen in the temple first, right? That's the first thing that has to happen. And other people say, wait, wait a minute. Before any of this can take place, the gospel has to, preach to, every, has to be preached to every person on the earth. So first of all, my question is, which one of these is right? If you look at one or two scriptures, if you simply take one verse or two verses or a couple passages here, then flip over and a couple passages here, you can make the Bible look like it says just about any of those things. But it's our responsibility, first of all, to look at the Bible as a, as a whole. Look at the teachings of Jesus and look at the teachings that, that, he's, uh, that the Holy Spirit spoke through other people and say, okay, what is it? What is the whole picture here? What are, what are we getting? And when it comes to the, the end times, when it comes to the, the last days, one thing about it is it's a little bit gray. It's a little bit murky. It's a little bit uncertain. Now, there are certain things in Scripture that are black and white, very clear, right? But this is one of those areas that is not quite so clear, but I, I believe it's intentional. You see, if you look at Matthew 24 alone, where Jesus is speaking, you could make a case for both a pre-tribulation and a post-tribulation rapture of the church in one chapter of the Bible. There are verses that look like both. And so we say, well, well how do we know? And, and the, the reality is we, we don't know. Um, you could also make a, a case for premillennialism or amillennialism, meaning do we get raptured and then reign with Christ for a thousand years? Or is that reigning already happening because we're already seated at, right, at the right hand of the Father, seated in heavenly places in Christ? You can make the case either way all out of Matthew 24, because it's not crystal clear. Um, I think that when we look around and we, see, we can see the season and time that we're living in without having to predict exactly how the future events are going to play out. And we need to stand in the full counsel of Scripture to realize that God is more concerned about what's going on inside of each of our hearts than about what's going on around us. Some of you that have been in church for a long time might remember back in the uh, late 80s, there was a book that came out. There was a man named Edgar uh, Wisenant, who ironically was a former NASA engineer, which I just think is kind of funny. But uh, he wrote a booklet called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Sold millions of copies. A lot of people read that book and got convicted and ran to church. People who hadn't been in church in ages started saying, well, maybe this is true, and if this is, if this is right, I want to I get right with God right now. But something happened. Um, 1988 came and went, and the rapture didn't happen. But that's okay. He's not done. He wrote another book after that <laughs> called On Borrowed Time and saying why it was likely to happen in 1989 or maybe 1990. Sold a few less books of that one but nonetheless, still sold some. But he, he was convinced. I do believe, I don't believe he was lying to anybody. I don't believe that he was making stuff up. I do believe he was convinced that this is what he found and stumbled across. But he also convinced many, many other people that this was going to happen. And the problem with putting a, a date or time on something like that is, if it doesn't happen, all of a sudden your credibility has gone down. 
and unfortunately, that also puts a blemish on the Word of God because a lot of people think that, oh, well, he was speaking the Word of God. He was speaking Scripture, so Scripture must be full of lies. But the reality is, his interpretation was incorrect. That doesn't mean that all of it's, that the Word itself is incorrect. Like I said, you can take a few verses here and you can take a few verses there and make it say just about anything you want. So uh, as we get into this, uh, we, we're understanding that some of this is prof- prophetic literature, right? And prophecy in Scripture is, is a strange thing because prophecy in Scripture doesn't always play out the way that we think prophecy is going to play out. So first of all, there's two kinds of prophecies, all right? There is the prophecy that, um, that, that is seeing the future, forth, uh, foretelling, right? Saying this is going to happen in the future. But there's also prophecy that's foretelling, meaning this is what's happening right now. You see this going on around you. Let me explain to you what's happening. So not all prophecy is about the future. Some prophecy, and actually a lot of it throughout Scripture, is not prophetic for the future. It's saying this is what's happening now. This is why you're going through what you're going through. If you read through most of the Old Testament prophets, it's telling Israel, look, you're having problems because you're not following your creator. You're not following the law that he set before you. You're not doing the things that you had. And so that's why you're seeing this, this, and this happen. And if you don't straighten up, then this, this, and this are going to happen. So there's both foretelling and foretelling in, in, throughout a lot of Scripture. So sometimes we got to figure out, well, which one are they even talking about? But then it gets even weirder because there's some things in Scripture that we wouldn't have considered to be prophecy until the Holy Spirit reveals it as prophetic. Let me give you some examples here. Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. This is a story Mary and Joseph are going to Bethlehem to have, to have the baby Jesus, right? Jesus is born, and it says this in, in verse 14. So Joseph got up and took the child with Jesus and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fill what had been spoken of by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Prophetic of Jesus leaving Bethlehem and going to Egypt, right? If you read the prophecy that that comes from, it has nothing to do with the Messiah. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It had to do with Israel being taken out of Egypt thousands of years before that. It wasn't a prophecy messianic. It wasn't considered a messianic prophecy. This wasn't something that, that the scholars were looking and saying, well, we're waiting for this to be fulfilled. No, no, no. It wasn't realized. It was a double fulfillment. Now, it is prophetic, and it is accurate, because the Holy Spirit inspired the, the writer of Matthew to, to write that down, right? So we know it's true, but it would have never been something that you looked at before and said, oh, okay, this is going to have to happen in the life of the Messiah. No, it already happened with Israel coming out of Egypt. Um, it wasn't thought of as messianic in any way, but Matthew sees a different fulfillment. And once again, remind, remember, Matthew was inspired by the Holy Spirit while he was writing that. Look at Matthew 4, verses 12 through 16. It says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Okay, that seems pretty simple enough, right? Jesus went from one location to another. He decided to go preach in Capernaum for these people. But it goes on. The writer added something more. He says, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, 
by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land in a shadow of death upon them, a light dawned. Did Jesus go to Capernaum just to fulfill this prophecy? I don't know. Sounded to me like he was just going from one city to another. Had he not gone to Capernaum, would that have made Isaiah's prophecy false? Would he have been a false prophet at that point? I don't think so. This wasn't something thought of as a messianic prophecy, is my point. This isn't something you could have looked at and said, okay, now I get it. A lot of the stuff that's going to happen, we're going to start to understand as it unfolds, or even after it unfolds. A lot of the stuff isn't going to be crystal clear until after the fact that you can look back and say, oh, now I get it, right? That's exactly what happened when Jesus came the first time, was it not? So, there were a couple of, these are just a couple of examples, but you can see how rather obscure passages are, are seen as fulfillment, but only after the fact, while inspired by the Holy Spirit, was this made evidence and, and understood. Furthermore, we can see looking back at how Jesus fulfilled the, the requirements, all the different uh, prophecies that he fulfilled in his, in his coming the first time, how he was the, the perfect Messiah, right? He, he did all the things that he needed to do. Yet, when Jesus was born, there was no parade in Bethlehem. There was no procession saying, the king is born! No, it was kind of quiet, kind of humble. Born amongst the animals, not born in a palace somewhere, not amongst any kind of you know, great things. And it was not widely known throughout all the earth that God incarnate was born that day to a virgin in Bethlehem, a descendant of David. And even though he lived as a spotless land, lamb, sorry, and in hindsight fulfills the role of the suffering servant that Isaiah spoke of, Many of these prophecies concerning Jesus were somewhat unclear. They were vague. They were cryptic, almost. Um, they were shrouded in mystery, is how the Bible talks about that. And most people alive at the time, even those that lived near and around him, had no idea that he was able to fulfill those things. They didn't know that the Messiah was in their midst, and why not? Well, I believe that God was able to tell us to foretell what was going to happen without revealing it, without revealing all of his plans to the enemy, to Satan. This is made very clear in, in the scripture in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. It says, but, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Do you think that the, entity, the, that the enemies of God knew that they were doing exactly what God needed them to do? Do you think that they played into his hand intentionally? Um, if they knew precisely and exactly what God had in store for the future, would they again fulfill scripture, which ensures their ultimate defeat and demise? I kind of don't think so. Um, that being said, we need to do our best to study the word. This isn't, this isn't the uh, chance to say, okay, I can't understand it, I'm, I'm just going to check out. No, no, no. We need to study, our, study the word to understand what's going on, and primarily so that we're not fooled by false teaching. 
Let's face it, there's a lot of teaching out there that will use scripture to share some stuff that sounds really good, but doesn't mean it falls in line with scripture. Just because they're using a verse here or a verse there doesn't mean that it lines up with the word of God. Once again, as I mentioned before, and I, I think this is absolutely true, is, is you can make the Bible say just about anything you want it to say if you take bits and pieces, parts here and there. You know, it's kind of like uh, nowadays with any kind of political speaker. No matter what they say, what is the media looking for? Those two little words, three little words that they can put there and make a great big headline and make everybody say, can you believe that so-and-so said this? That's what they're looking for, right? You can, make, you can kind of do the same thing with Scripture. You can take this piece and that piece and put them together and say, see, the Bible says whatever it may be, right? But when you look at the whole counsel of Scripture, you start to understand, oh, wait, wait, there's some validity to the word and not to what other people say. So all that was a setup to get us to Matthew 24, right? Matthew 24, verses 3 through 14 says this. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you not be frightened for these things must take place, but that is not, the yet, not yet the end. So I think that's a good place to stop and look for a second. Do not be frightened. Do not fear. As we talked about a few moments ago, there's a spirit of fear that's coming over a lot of people. A lot of people are afraid and, and, and nervous, wondering what's going to happen. And Jesus is very clear. He says, do not be afraid. These things have to happen. But even that's not yet the end. What he says, he says, for nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And in various places, there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs as we've been talking about, right? Then we get to verse 9. Then they will deliver you to, your, to, tribula to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Wow. Could we delete that verse? Could we just get some white out and kind of go over that? You know, I don't know if I like that idea of uh, being given over to tribulation being hated by all nations. Oh, yeah, and that part in the middle, they'll kill you. Um, that doesn't sound like, uh, you know, the, the good news, right? A lot of people might think, you know, I accepted Jesus because of his promises to bless me and to protect me and to deliver me, and I don't know about this being killed and hated stuff. Uh, certainly, he does love us, does he not? And certainly, ultimately, his will and his desire is to bless us and deliver us. But not all the blessings are promised here on the earth. Look, guys, I believe that even here on the earth, God wants to bless us and wants to deliver us. I believe that that is his desire. We're his children. He wants to love us and wants to do these things for us. But ultimately, our deliverance is when we are seated with him in heavenly places. Amen? Our deliverance is when we are in his kingdom and his kingdom is fully come. The Bible tells us that this earth is not our home. This is not our eternal dwelling. If it is, wow, what a pity. But the, thank God we have something better to look forward to, amen? So it goes on, verse 10. At that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mis mislead many. 
because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Most people's love will grow cold. Hmm. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You see, that's where some people say, well, hey, you know, it's got to be preached to everybody first, right? Now, I don't know whether or not the gospel has been preached to every nation over the course of history. We know that it's spread far and wide. Certainly there are some nations now where the name of Jesus is not proclaimed very, very often or very much, but that doesn't mean they haven't had a, something in the past, right? So I, I don't know. I, I think we should definitely continue, though, to share the gospel every place we can until the end does come. But the big thing is we need to be on guard that we do not let our love grow cold. We also need to be ready to endure some stuff. I think this is an important thing, and I think this is one of the areas where we can get off track. If, if, if your mind is so set that, that we're absolutely going to be raptured out before any kind of tribulation happens, what happens if you begin to experience some tribulation? What happens if you experience some bad stuff in your life? Some people begin to falter and fall away. Their faith will begin to grow weak. But instead, we're, we're told here that we got to make sure that we guard ourselves, that our love doesn't grow cold, and we got to be ready to endure. And as it says there uh, in verse 10, I believe it was, the one who endures to the end will be saved, right? So the things that we see going on around us right now, these are not the great tribulation. These are not the plagues that are spoken of in, in Revelation. These are not the seals being opened or the trumpets being blown or anything like that. But these are simply the birth pangs. These are the beginnings this is the point, though, where we need to recognize what's going on. Instead of allowing worry and fear to overwhelm us, we need to hold on to God's promises. Just because a few governors around the country want to act like tyrants, that doesn't change the fact that God is head over heels in love with you. That doesn't change the fact that his church, his bride, is, is being prepared, and he's going to come back and... and, and and bring us to himself, amen? It doesn't change the fact that he still desires to bless his children. He's still preparing us as his bride, and we cannot allow our love to grow cold. We must, we must get to know his word, and we must not be easily moved. So when shaking happens, and shaking is happening, we need to be prepared to stand strong. Amen? Now let's look down at verse 23. 3 and 24 says this, then if anyone says to you, behold, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and pro false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead many, if possible, even the elect. Even the elect, those that are, that are wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus, many of them are going to be misled by false Christs, by false teachers, by false prophets. We need to be absolutely uh, just engulfed in the word of God so that we understand and we know so that whenever we see false prophets and false teachers, we can point it out and say, wait a second, that's wrong. I'm not gonna go there. That guy's, he may be right in one area, but he's, he's way off kilter over there. Let's, let, let's be careful not to go there, right? Do you realize the enemy wants to do anything and everything he can to mislead you and me? Remember, he, he tries to steal, kill, and destroy, right? That's his mission. That's what he's doing all the time. And he's pretty good at it. He does it quite a lot. 
and he's been doing it for a long time. He wants us to grow cold towards God and cold towards people and try to do everything in our own strength. I think it's important to realize it's not just towards God, but towards other people as well. I believe that right now the enemy is using fear to control the hearts and minds of many, many people throughout the earth. I believe that he's using anger and bitterness to cause people to act in ungodly ways towards one another and to rebel against authority that God has put in place. I believe that he's using people's pride and arrogance to separate people from one another. I believe that he's using greed and lust for power to cause people in leadership to make poor decisions. I also believe that he has been using many of these same tactics from the very beginning. And he, he's just continuing to perpetuate the same thing over and over. But this isn't time, this isn't the first time that we've seen evil in the world either, is it? No, it's from the very beginning. Look, Cain and Abel, what, what happened? Cain killed Abel, right? It wasn't very, very long into the, into the story of human history. And, and beyond that, you got uh, Joseph's brothers sent us selling him into slavery. That was, that was still in the first few chapters of Genesis. That's at the very beginning of human history. We see the story of, of Sodom and Gomorrah and all the horrible things that happened there. You, you can look at what, Jesus, uh, what Herod did to John the Baptist. That's pretty evil. We don't have any world leaders, as far as I know, publicly cutting off the heads of people that they don't agree with and serving them on a platter. That is not something that happens these days, but it did happen to John the Baptist right? The same guy had James put to death with the sword. He had Peter locked up intending to kill him, but an angel released him. We've seen this stuff throughout history, and then that doesn't even talk about more modern history under, under Stalin, under Hitler, under Mao Zedong. A lot of grotesque things, horrible things have happened. Murders have happened and all kinds of stuff. Evil has happened throughout the world, and yet right now what we're experiencing, it's nothing new. And as a matter of fact, I believe it's just kind of uncomfortable for us because we've kind of been we've had it relatively easy we haven't seen these atrocities very much in our lifetime most of us haven't experienced heavy persecution um i'm not trying to belittle anybody's troubles that they may be going through presently but i don't think that anybody here has been sown i don't think that anybody's been sawed in two i don't think anybody's head's been chopped off um and if it has, well, I'm not sure how you made it here today. Um, but this is the time to stand up for our faith and not to grow weary. This is the time when we have to be strong in what we believe and not back down in the presence of, of people trying to tell us, hey, you need to, to zip it, right? You know, if you, if you take a stand on anything, it doesn't matter what it is. If you take a stand on anything, there's going to be people who support you. And there's going to be people who detract and, and, and tell you that you're wrong and call you all kinds of names and all this kind of stuff, right? I mean, think about something just as simple as if I said, hey, uh, butter pecan ice cream is the best ice cream out there. Yeah, no, maybe. I like chocolate. I like, you know, people have their own opinions, right? Well, the same thing happens whenever we begin to speak the truth and tell what the Bible says. Whenever we say, whenever we make statements about the Bible that says, like the Bible explicitly calls homosexuality sin, uh-oh, if you say that, you're going to stir up a lot of hornet's nest, right? Well, what if you go on to say, um, the Bible says that all sex outside of marriage covenant is sin. Ooh, people don't like that too much, but that's the truth of Scripture, Right? Um, what about if you saw, say that gluttony, gossip, lying, all these things are, are sins? Well, once you take a stand on the issue, you're going to see opposition. 
Once you take a stand and say, okay, this is the truth, and I'm, I'm going to believe this, and this is how, how we're going to live, you're going to see opposition. So when we begin to take a stand on the validity and the importance of God's word, we got to be prepared that something else is going to come against us. Tribulations are going to happen. People are going to speak badly of us. People are going to speak ill of us. And you know what? We may see uh, all kinds of negativity come forth. As you interact with people on a daily basis, we have to expect that we're going to have differences of opinion. And where the Bible is clear, where it's black and white, we need to stand with one another. We need to stand strong and, and agree with one another. The areas where it's, where it's gray and, and, and we're uncertain, when it comes to things like, hey, what part of the, what, which trumpet of the tribulation are we going through? We don't know. So you can't be, you can't be dogmatic about that. But there are things that we can know and we need to stand strong on those things. And a lot of people say, well, what, you know, what is the, uh, what are the essentials of the faith? What is it that we have to stand strong on, have to believe together? What, what are these things? Well, I think we kind of sang it in the second song we sang today, the, the Creed song. That song basically sums up the Apostles' Creed. I don't know, some of you guys might have had to learn that as a child or whatever. I, I know I made, my older daughters learn it because I want them to know what we believe as a church. It's, it's a simple facts that, you know, we believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and uh, was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and was seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. This is the basic tenets of the church, what's been believed since the, the foundation just about. The first and second century, they wrote these things to say, these are what we have to hold tight to, guys. Some of that other stuff, well, it may not be quite as cut and dry. These are the things, the tenets that we have to hold tight to. But even so, this doesn't spell out how a Christian should vote. It doesn't say how often we should fast or, or how, which church we should attend. Those are decisions that we have to make based on the Holy Spirit's guiding and leading in our lives, right? We have to rely on the Holy Spirit and seek him who he will guide us into all truth. So that brings us all back to the question, what is going on? What is it that we're seeing happen? And, you know, what's happening in the world today? And I believe it is a shaking. And the word says that all things that can be shaken will be. If you continue to look at the scriptures that we've been reading in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, you'll see that we are indeed heading towards this day of the Lord, the last battle, the end of the age. We are heading in that direction. We are, I believe, on the doorstep of these things happening. You can also look at basically the entirety of the book of Revelation and, and begin to see some things. Now, that one's a tricky one because there's different ways that people interpret that book. Some people say everything in there is linear. That you read it and says this, then this, then this, then this. And there's some things that are absolutely linear because it says there are seven of these things. The first, the second, the third. When that happens, somebody says the first, what happens next? The second, what happens next? The third, right? But then there's other parts of the, that prophecy that don't necessarily say they come in order. Some people say that the way that should be interpreted is this is what's happening in heaven. And this is what's happening in, in other parts of the spirit realm. And this is what's happening on the earth. And so you have to take these and kind of look and... Verse chapter this uh, correlates with this other chapter and this chapter. I don't know. <laughs> I can tell you I've read it in many different ways. I've, I've looked at different people's writings on that. And whenever you read one, you say, man, that really makes a lot of sense to me. Then you read somebody else and say, well, that kind of does too. And 
that doesn't jive with what this guy said. And I don't know, I don't, I don't have a solution as to far as what's going to happen exactly when, but what I do know is that we are heading towards the great day of the Lord, that day of judgment. And yes, we're, we are heading, if you look back at the natural, we are heading towards a cashless society. I don't think anybody's in denial that that's where we're going towards. Um, and yes, they'll probably want to embed something in your hand and in your forehead. Um, we are heading towards uh, the idea of, of vaccinations and, you know, the microchip thing. Bill Gates wants to microchip everybody so that you know whether you've been vaccinated or not. And that's kind of creepy. I don't like it. But even these things going on, we see the cashless society, we see the chip happening and all this stuff. I don't necessarily think that these things are the mark of the beast per se. Because what the Bible talks about in, in Revelation, if you read through that, the mark of the beast says you can't buy or sell goods without this chip, right? But it also says that you're taking this thing willingly. And I believe that people are going to know what, what they're doing. However, while these things may not themselves be the mark, I do believe that technology is ramping up and preparing, and it's not that far away. So, you know, am I telling you to go get a vaccination or not? Go? No, I'm not saying anything one way or the other. That's your choice. But I do believe that the Bible is clear that we're heading towards this direction. We're heading towards the end, end of all things, and we need to be prepared for that. Um, you know, one of the things that's been uh, eye-opening to me that it, is how things have changed in such a short amount of time. Things that we would have never thought we'd see in our lifetime, we're seeing happen not only in our lifetime, but seeing in just a matter of weeks. Um, so that tells me that, that the timeline is getting shorter and shorter and shorter, and we need to be prepared for that. I don't know whether we as believers will go through the great tribulation or whether the church will be raptured out beforehand. I don't know how close we are to the end, but I do believe that this is the only time that you and I have on the earth to share our faith. This is the only generation that we have to speak into, to share the truth of the gospel. We don't get to do this again after we're dead, right? It's only in our time here on the earth that we get to share the truth and, and speak it forth. I also know that God promises that we'll all stand before judgment seat. Now it seems that there will be two different judgments that will take place. The first is where he, he decides on who's gonna um, come into his kingdom with him. He talks about separating the sheep from the goats. He talks about separating the wheat from the tares. He gives these examples of, of people who are allowed into the kingdom and those that are not allowed into the kingdom, right? But then he also goes on to say there's another judgment seat. It's a white throne judgment where we stand before him and he's gonna judge us based on our deeds on the earth. He's gonna, base us on, he's gonna judge us based on how we did. Now, hopefully that's gonna be a, a blessing seat where he's gonna pour out blessings on us for the things that we've done in his name, the, the good things. But what we see is that our, our rewards are determined by, by the deeds that we've done, how we've lived, and when we stand up for truth, we're truly believing and obeying his word, and we know that his rewards will follow. Church, we're not called to live in fear like so many in the world today. We're to walk confidently and with the measure of faith that God has given to us. And now is not the time to be a wishy-washy person. Now is not the time to waffle in our faith or waver in our faith. But now is the time to stand strong, to recognize that there's some stuff going to come against us, and he's going to give us the strength and the power to walk through it. He's going to give us the ability to walk strong through those things. And as we close, 
I just want to give everybody the opportunity here today. You know, Jesus said in, in Matthew 13, 44, that his kingdom's kind of like a hidden treasure. That a man was digging around, he found this treasure, and it was so valuable that he sold everything else he had to go dig up that, to, to buy that field so he could dig up that treasure and call it his own. Guys, there's an opportunity today that if you have not accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you have not received the eternal life that he's offering to you, there's a hidden treasure waiting for you. And the great thing is, he wants to give it to you. It's a gift that he wants to give to you, this gift of eternal life with him. But just like the hidden treasure parable there, it's going to cost you something. Matter of fact, it's going to cost you everything. Because he's asking people to give up their life, to give up everything for his kingdom and for his sake. But in return, we get a life that's far better than anything we've ever experienced. So I just want to ask you this morning, is there anybody that has not made the choice to accept Jesus as their Savior, that they'd like to do that this morning? If there is, just raise your hand for a moment, and we'll pray with you. All right. I also want to invite you to make another choice, and that is that I want you to pray. I want to pray with you that God's going to strengthen you and me, that our love will not grow cold, that the things that come against us will not defeat us and will not tear us down, but instead will help us to grow stronger. Amen? So I'm going to pray that now, and then, then we'll close out. God, I thank you that your word is truth. I thank you that your word is truth. Your word doesn't just contain truth, but it is truth. And Lord, today we boldly stand upon your word. I pray, Lord God, that you strengthen each and every person here, each and every person that's watching on, on YouTube or on Facebook, that you'd give them strength to, to overcome the things that would try to, try to take away their life, the things that would try to steal from them. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen each of us, that we would walk faithfully, that we would stand upon your word and not care about who might speak against us or what might be spoken against us, but instead we'll stand strong in you knowing that your word is what matters most. Lord, we stand surrendered to you today. We pray that in all things, your name will be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.